Amen. Well, you're already standing. You might as well stay. Uh, let's, let's read. Well, let me just say a couple of things quickly. Kathy is going to be here uh, at the end of my message. As you know, we received a major blow. And, boy, I've struggled with coming today to preach because it seems just a difficult thing. But see, let me just say to hell, you picked on the wrong church. The wrong church. Because we fight back. And my way of fighting back is to preach the word. And so I want to say to hell, the collateral damage you're going to receive because of this, you can't begin to calculate because we're going to win more souls, preach more word, and move forward in Christ like we never have before. So if you will uh, allow me, I'm going to fight back right now and preach. And then at the end, I, I want precious Kathy to come out. She's going to come out this way. And it was her birthday Friday. So we're going to sing happy birthday to her. And um, she's going to share a word with you, and I'm going to share a word. Uh, I can't tell you how much we have been up, upheld by your prayers. It has been overwhelming. Uh, when I put, or when they put the church letter onto Facebook, it went to 27,500 reads. People from all over the world commented. Thousands of prayers are going up. And the enemy doesn't realize that he has roused a lion. And so let's look at the words. I've got to finish this series. All my staff is telling me, you've got to finish this series so that we can put it on radio. And, of course, this isn't just a series. This is God's word. And I want to finish Crosswalk. And then... We're going to begin a brand new series. I'm getting back in the saddle today. We're going to begin a brand new series called The Battlefield. And I'm going to preach a series on spiritual warfare that's going to change your life. It's going to revolve around Goliath. And so if you have your Bibles with you, hold them up. And, let's, and if you don't have a Bible with you, shame on you. Next time, bring your Bible. It's like you came to church in your underwear without a Bible. Okay, let's look at Luke chapter 14, verse 25, and boy, I've got a good word today. Look what it said, and I'm reading out of the New King James, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll let you look up here this time, and next time bring a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, come up to me afterwards, and I will give you a Bible. It might be used, but I'll give you a Bible. Okay, now, Luke 14, verse 25, now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot, cannot. Now, mark all the cannots in this reading because there's three of them. He cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has built the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him. And on it goes through another illustration of how discipleship is something by which we must count 
the cost. And if we don't do it, and if we're not prepared, we cannot be his disciple. We will be blocked from discipleship. Now, I'm going to tell you what the enemy fears more than anything else in the world is for any of you to become a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. Because that's the dangerous kind when it comes to hell and hell's activity. Disciples destroy the works of the devil. Disciples release the glory of God in the earth. Disciples preach Jesus up and preach the devil down. Disciples bear fruit. And so let's pray together and talk about it. Lord, we thank you for your blessing today. And we pray that, Lord, you will speak to us, minister to us. And I pray that out of these messages and out of this series will come disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive your precious word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them you're going to be touched today by the Lord. Get ready. Amen. I was going to share a Dallas Cowboys and New England Patriots joke, but I'm going to hold it. Because that's who's playing today. And I was going to make a spiritual analogy, but I don't think some of you would love me afterwards. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it alone. How many of you are praying for the Cowboys? To, okay. If, we, if you're a New England fan, don't raise your hand. All right. Now, in these passages, we have three cannots. Jesus gave regarding discipleship. Listen to what he said. You cannot love others more than him and be a disciple. You cannot love yourself more than him and be a disciple. And you cannot love stuff more than him and be a disciple. You notice that what Jesus said, every cannot had to do with his being supreme in our life and not something else. For anything that holds first place in our life that's not him is an idol. So, You cannot love others more than him. can't love yourself more than him. You can't love things or stuff or possessions more than him. Now, we've we've talked in the last few weeks about what discipleship is. What is it? If if you missed that, the CD is out there at the uh, connection booth. And we talked about loving him above all else, and we talked about picking up your cross. How often? Every single solitary day, or you cannot be... His disciple, because any one of those things will become a roadblock in your journey with Christ. And the enemy is all about it. If he can't keep you out of hell by keeping you lost, then once you're saved, he wants to put roadblocks in your path, great big boulders uh, in, in the road, so that you don't produce fruit. Because Jesus said, you did not choose me, or but I chose you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that that fruit should remain. So God's will is that we bring forth fruit. And so the enemy will put boulders in our path, distractions, detours, side roads, blockades to, to keep us from becoming, becoming genuine, daily, crucified followers of Jesus Christ. 
Now, in this final uh, message in our Crosswalk series, we're, we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about material possessions, about our stuff. I'm going to call possessions primarily our stuff. Do you know that Jesus had a lot to say about stuff? And you know why he did? Because Jesus was eminently practical in his teaching and his messages to you and me. He talked about the things that matter the most to us. And folks, let me tell you something. Things and stuff and possessions matter to everybody in this room. Isn't that true? If that's true of you, raise your hand. Come on. It's easy to love stuff, right? Things do matter. That new car or that new house, bigger house, nicer car, that $200 pair of jeans. I was in Nordstrom's the other day, and I was looking at blue jeans, and I went into shock of what people will pay for a pair of blue jeans that looked to me like holes were intentionally cut into them, and they were bleached with bleach. And I'm going to pay $250 for that, for holy jeans? But we're into stuff. That Cole Hahn or Mark Jacob purse, come on, ladies. That Armani suit, those $400 Gucci sunglasses. Or get this, I looked it up. $500 for a premium Air Jordan tennis shoes. $500. I used to spend $20 on a pair of PF flyers. That, that, that promised you would run faster and jump higher. And now I'm paying $500 for Michael Jordan Air whatever tennis shoes. And I understand in other cities, they're killing each other to get those shoes. That's crazy. We human beings love our stuff, but Jesus warned us this. He said, don't be owned by stuff. Don't let stuff own you. We, he may allow us to be temporary stewards over stuff, but we are not to be owned by stuff. We're not to be possessed by stuff. It's okay to have things as long as our things don't have us. That's the message of Jesus. And the Bible says when the things, the stuff in our life holds preeminence over him, that is a type of idolatry. Now, we picture idolatry as somebody bowing down to a little wooden figurine, a fat Buddha, something like that. But idolatry can be completely invisible. It can be whatever you crown, number one, in your life over God is actually an idol. So he said, don't let stuff be an idol. I read this story. <clears throat> this is absolutely true. In the land of Africa, it was learned long ago a very crafty way to trap a monkey. The natives found out if they hollowed out a coconut and they left a hole in it just big enough for a monkey's hand to fit in this way, right here, straight out, they could fill that empty coconut with things the monkey liked to eat. And the monkey would find this coconut and he would put his hand in to grab the goods, but when he grabbed the goods, his hand became a fist. And the hole was just small enough for his hand to go in this way, but it can't come out with his hand full of things this way. And they discovered when they began to approach the monkey, when his hand was full of the goods, that even when he saw his liberty passing away, he would not let go of the stuff and pull his hand out and run, but got captured holding on to the goods. 
I'm not calling you or me a monkey. But let's face it, isn't that what we do? We stubbornly hang on to things rather than letting go in order to follow the Lord in discipleship. We want our stuff and we won't let go. Do you know what a lot of Christianity is? God convincing us that there are some things we need to turn loose of. They're not helping us. They're not blessing us. They're not healing us. They're not delivering us. But it's just that we want them and we don't let go. And the enemy comes and captures us. And discipleship is blocked because we're chasing things instead of chasing God. So Jesus understood this about us because he understood everything about you and me. And he said, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth about stuff and things. And let me share with you some of the things that Jesus said. He said, first of all, and we really need to hear this, stuff or possessions can literally hinder us from being saved. Then Jesus said to his disciples, listen to this, assuredly I say to you that it's hard for a rich man. He didn't say impossible, he said hard. For a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why would that be? Why would it be that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Here's why. Because the rich man puts his confidence and his trust in his money. And he gets a false sense of security about life. And he says, no matter what happens to me, my money will deliver me. But what he does not know is that the day he dies, his money cannot deliver him. His money will not deliver him. It is impossible for his money or his things to deliver him. So Jesus said, it's not impossible, but it's hard. It can block you from being saved. And I've preached the gospel long enough to know that that's absolutely true. I've seen people with all kinds of money, and they did not think about the day their heart stopped and their spirit went into eternity. They didn't think about that day. They just had total confidence in being able to write a check and get out of any problem or get anything they wanted. We read in the book of Mark about a young man who came to Jesus. He thought he was on the right track. He was wealthy. He was successful. He was a good guy. You would probably have liked him, and I would have too. He was kind and he was honest. He was probably very sharp-looking, dressed in that Armani suit of the first century that I just mentioned a minute ago. On the surface, this young man was the kind of guy you wanted your daughter to marry. He lived an exemplary life. And in Mark 10, he approached Jesus and he said to Jesus, Sir, what must I do to be saved? He probably expected Jesus to say, Hey, you're doing great right where you are. You're on the right track. Keep up what you're already doing, and you're going to be fine. I think that's what he expected Jesus to say, because that's what everybody else said about him. But Jesus didn't look at him. Jesus looked through him. And Jesus saw the weakness in his life, and here's what Jesus said. One thing you lack, go home. Empty your bank account. Give it to the poor. Then take up your cross and follow me. The young man was stunned. I think we could better read this. Well, it says that he walked away sorrowful. He turned around from the Savior of the world and walked away. For he had many possessions. And I think we could safely say his many possessions had him. 
like that monkey. He couldn't let go of the roadblock that was in his life. He couldn't let go of his stuff that was blocking him from Christ. The Savior of the world was standing in front of him, and he walked away. He didn't own his dollars. His dollars owned him. What about you? You know, we in America, we think, well, you know, um, I'm really struggling to get by. Oh, you don't know what poverty is. You need to go to Haiti. Because the Haitians would consider every one of you in here today to be rich. See, rich is a relative word. That any Haitian you pull off the street would walk into your life and go, wow, you're rich. And in America, we tend to put our security in something that is falling away and fleeting this moment as I speak. And what will so many people do when the economy falls and the bottom drops out and there's no access to the things we're used to? Well, those who have been rooted in Christ are just going to praise him and keep on going. But there's a lot of people going to be jumping out of windows because all they know is the dollar. Now, let me be clear about something. Uh, there's, There's nothing wrong with being financially successful or being wealthy. Nothing wrong with that at all. It was a wealthy man that put Jesus in his own tomb. As long as Jesus is number one in your heart, as long as you have the money and the money doesn't have you, then there's nothing wrong with it. So if God has given you a way to make wealth, go make wealth. Just be sure to give God the glory. Don't put your trust in uncertain riches, but put them in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I read the Bible, I see the Christians in the early church understood Jesus' requirement of keeping a loose grip on the things of this world, and they happily let go of their stuff when choosing Christ over things confronted them. Listen to this. In Hebrews, we're told, oh, this is a powerful verse. Listen, you suffered, the writer of Hebrews says, talking to Christians, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned All you owned, listen, when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. I know people would have a nervous breakdown if everything they owned was taken away from them. But they suffered it with joy. Listen to what he says. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Store not up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus said where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and thieves can't get in there and break in and steal it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Moses had the same resolve. The reason Moses became Moses, the lawgiver, was because early on he decided to keep a loose grip on stuff. Listen to what it says. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose. Everybody say he chose. He didn't have holy ghost bumps come all over him. He didn't have some angel force him into this decision. He said, it says, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ. Listen to this. 
than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. See, Moses was the heir apparent. Moses had at his beck and call all the treasures, diamonds, rubies, gold, silver of Egypt, and he rejected it, choosing Christ. So the true disciple will keep a loose grip on the things of this world. Say with me, keep a loose grip. I wonder how many of you have your hand in that coconut shell and God is saying, let go so I can set you free. And you're saying, help me, Lord, but not yet. Second, Jesus taught, we aren't wired to serve two gods. It says no one can serve two masters. Listen to Jesus here. No one, that means you, can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, there's a cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. Now, Jesus said you can't. You know what that means in the Greek? It means you cannot. Now, I want you to notice, he didn't say you can't have both. He said you can't serve both. Because you can have both, but you can't serve both. I want you to think about it for a minute with me. When you serve something, you're there for its beck and call. When you serve something. I would imagine there's a couple of you, at least in here today, that have a beeper on you, and it's connected to a hospital or a doctor's office or some place you work. And if that beeper goes off, you're going to get up and smile at me and walk out the door, and you're going to go serve your boss. Jesus said, when you serve something, you jump when it says jump, you go when it says go, you turn where it says turn, you are the slave of whatever you serve. And can I tell you today the truth about everyone in this room? We are all today the slave of something. That's all right. Do you know that Paul said, I am Christ's slave? Greek word, doulos, it means servant, but it really means slave. I am Christ's slave. When he says jump, I jump. When he says turn, I turn. When he says go, I go. When he says stop, I stop. He's who I serve. But we're all, we've all got a master. We've all got something we serve today primarily and ultimately and exclusively above all else. When whatever you serve calls, you walk away from whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, and you join with them, and you go serve what you have given your allegiance to. And that's why you can't serve two masters. Jesus said you're going to hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Do you notice how he said here that eventually, if you're trying to serve two things, you're eventually going to totally turn against one of them. And not only walk away from it, but despise it because you can't, we're not wired, we're not built, we're not constructed by God to serve two things. Do you know that every human being comes to a place in life, and we've all come there already right now, where they must make a choice to serve one God, one master above all others. We've all in this room made that decision as we sit here. We're all serving primarily one thing. Every person within the sound of my voice right now 
has already made that choice today, this moment, we're already serving a primary master. What is yours? What is your primary? What are you primarily serving? Money? Some drug? Oh, what a sad tragedy it is to see somebody who is enslaved, who, who's, whose master is a drug, a drink, some addictive drug. You know what hit me the other day? We see people serving drugs, and let, let, let's take cocaine. Now, I've never even seen it except pictures of it. But let me tell you something. I know what it looks like, that white powder. There it is. Do you know that came from the cocoa plant? Do you know back in Genesis, God gave man dominion over everything he created? We were created to have dominion over the plants, not the plants to have dominion over us. So when, when a plant has dominion over you, then, then you are experiencing a flip-flop of what God intended. A perversion of what God intended. We serve ourselves. We serve various things. Money, riches, fame, another person, a place, an aspiration, a goal. And, and that's our primary master. And you know why this matters so much? Because whatever that master is, is going to be the master that gets your time, your energy, your effort, your attention, your affection, your loyalty, and ultimately your life. You will reach the end of your days having served something. Jesus said, be sure that what you served is, is me. That doesn't mean you have to get rid of everything to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean you've got to become a pauper to follow Jesus. It means you must be willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. I was one time, uh, many years ago, asked by a particular man. He wanted me to come and bless his business. It's a brand new business. He wanted me to come and pray over it. He wanted me to, you know, anoint it with oil and, and, and pray over it and give it to God. And so I remember Kathy and I went, and, and we went to this occasion, and there was that man, and here was all these who's who's from the city. And they were all there, and there was wine, and there was, uh, you know, a little bit of dancing, and there was, there was celebration, and this, this great feeling of, wow, we're about to launch this brand new business. And so I went up to him, and I, I made sure he saw me. I said, hey, I'm the one you asked to come pray, remember? Oh, yeah, 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 I'll get right to you. Do you know he never got to me? He never got to me. Kathy and I were standing there. We're watching all this going on. And he never got to me. And finally I said, you know what, Kathy? A decision has been made here. See, to this man, he's more concerned with connections and money and the who's who's than he is with giving this to Jesus. We're just, we're just showpieces here. He doesn't want me to bless this. He doesn't want to give it. It's not on his mind. And so we got back in our vehicle and we just drove away and never was anything said to me. But here's what I noticed. That man eventually faded from church to pursue the dollar. The Bible warns about crowning the dollar as your God and making the pursuit of the dollar your goal in life. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, listen, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
If you chase that dollar, you're chasing an elusive thing. It's here today, gone tomorrow. One drop in the stock market and you've lost most of it. And then what will you do and what do you have? No, we're to build our lives on the sure rock foundation of Jesus Christ and his teachings. Then when the winds blow and the rains fall and the floods beat on the house, the house does not fall and we don't go jumping out of windows because our house was built on a rock. You know that Jesus promised the flip side here? He said, let me tell you a little secret. If you'll put me first, he said, everything all these other people are chasing is going to be added to you as a side benefit. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's a deal. So I get righteousness, and I get peace, and I get God's will done in my life, and alongside, he takes care of everything I need, everything the Gentiles are seeking and chasing, he gives to me. And then here, thirdly, this is my favorite one. Jesus taught that the disciple of Jesus must learn a secret. There's a secret. You ever hear about that book, The Secret? Oprah had this, the author on her show, The Secret. That just sounds compelling to me. When it's a secret, I want somebody to tell me what it is. And this book just went off the bookshelf. It just flew off the bookshelves, but it was cultic. It was completely wrong. It was occultic. It was New Age mysticism. But there is a secret the Bible talks about that you and I are supposed to be privy to. You want to know what it is? The secret of contentment. Say, say with me, contentment. Why is it a secret? Because so few have it. It's been said that contentment makes poor men rich. It makes, and discontent makes rich men poor. Because the Bible says that the eye of man is never satisfied. The eye of natural man is never satisfied. Give them one thing, they want another. Give them that, they want this. Give them this, they want that. The eye of natural man never says, I have enough. But the content person has learned a secret. And that is to be happy with what God has given you, to be thankful. It's been said, listen, thinking that we've got to have what someone else has, we've got that neighbor, they got the newer car, the bigger house, the better job, making more money, fatter paycheck. Thinking that what we've got to have, what, <clears throat> what someone else has, has been called the myth of the greener grass. It is a myth. You think the grass is greener on the other side of your neighbor's fence, but you don't live in the house. It always looks better on the other side of the fence in someone else's pasture. But listen, if the grass is greener in your neighbor's yard, somebody paid to water it. Let me tell you a secret. Here's the secret. If you are content, you are rich. Can I say it again? Because some of you don't believe me. If you're content, if you wake up every day and say, it is enough, I have Jesus, I have all that I need, I am happy in him, he is my everything and my everything. Like David said, I will be content when I awake with your likeness. If you can wake up and just praise God and be happy with what he's done with you and what he has brought into your life, you are rich.
the remedy to being controlled and possessed by possessions is to learn the secret of being content. And Paul called it a secret. Listen to what he said. I've learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or whether I have little. I've learned to be happy either way. I know how to live on almost nothing, and I know how to live on almost or with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want. Now listen to what he says. I can do everything God asked me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. What does Christ give us the strength and power to do? To be content. There are so many good verses. Let me read a couple more. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 8. Now there is a great gain in godliness with contentment. Now I want you to say something with me. If I'm content, well, that's three of you. Let's try it again. If I'm content, I have made great gain spiritually in my life. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. If we brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Listen, the society that we live in is designed to make you discontented with what you have. I looked this up. The worldwide marketing machine spends around $450 billion annually for what? To make you unhappy. It's true. They want to make you unhappy with who you are, with what you have, with how you look, and with what you do. At its core, and if you watch much TV, you're infected already. You need to be healed. Because if you watch those sick commercials, you know they are designed to make you unhappy, to make you discontent with who you are, what you have, how you look, and what you do. You don't have enough. You don't look good enough. Have you seen what some of these movie stars have done to themselves by trying to make themselves look better? You turn to a picture of you, oh, is that really them? I saw one. Oh, it was Renee Zellweger. I saw a picture, and it said under her, Renee Zellweger. And I said, oh, they got it wrong. That's not her. And then I read there was a before and there was an after. Oh, Renee, you were so likable and lovable and beautiful the way you are. What did you do? Somebody made her discontent. Well, I need to have this fixed and that fixed and this nipped and that tucked, and I needed this and that. Hey, leave yourself the way you are. God made you, and God don't make no junk. Most advertising is designed to make us ungrateful, discontent, and it's designed to feed our greed. Yet here's the secret Paul discovered. The number one habit of a contented person is that of being thankful. Show me a complainer, I'll show you somebody discontent. Show me somebody thankful, I'll show you somebody content. It's a fact. Isn't that simple? That's not philosophically profound, but it's a fact. It's a truth. 
earlier in the 20th century, and I'm going to close here, thank you notes became an art form and a how to thank best etiquette began to evolve in our country. And here's what the etiquette began to teach people about being thankful. Here's how you did thank you notes. We were told it's best to recognize a gift with an immediate note of thanks. Unless or unlike arriving at a party, there's no such thing as being fashionably late with a thank you note. You know, somebody does something one month later, they get a thank you note from you. Well, it took you a long time to say thank you. Thank you notes, they said, should be sent quickly and should smell of sincerity. Likewise, listen, when God does something for us, we don't need to send him a note one month later. We need to immediately say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And you know what? It should smell of sincerity. Lord, I really mean it. If you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have. And if you hadn't delivered me, I'd still be bound. And if you hadn't saved me, I'd still be lost. And Lord, I just want to take a minute and I want to thank you. I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to thank you daily. If you are that way, I guarantee you, you're going to be content. You've learned the real secret. Are you mainly a complainer or mainly a thanker or a little bit of both? Matthew Henry, who wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible, it is my favorite commentary to this day, was once held up and robbed. The thieves took everything of value that he had on his way home. Three of them surrounded him and robbed him. Later that evening, he wrote this in his diary. I am thankful that during all the years of my life, I've never been robbed before. Also, now he's on a run. Watch this. Also, even though they took my money, they didn't take my life. And then he keeps going. And although they took all I had, it wasn't much. Finally, I am grateful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Mm. Now say with me, Matthew Henry was a contented man. He had every reason to complain, but still he was thankful. So here it is, the disciple of Jesus understands that he must keep a loose grip on stuff or things. Can you let go and pull your hand out of that coconut before you are captivated and captured by materialism? Love of stuff can hinder our salvation. You can't serve both God and stuff. And contentment with thanksgiving is the true disciple's treasure. So where are you today? Can we stand together? You know, I've, I've struggled to let loose of things before. 
Isn't it amazing how strong a grip you can, you can have on something that God doesn't want you to have? Have you ever noticed that? You just don't want to let go? Is there anything like that in your life? You know, there it is, your hand is in that coconut. You've grabbed hold of the, uh, of the, the, the things that, that your flesh wanted, and God is saying, let go before you're captured. Can you let go? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you give us the grace to let go of those things we must turn loose of to follow you. Now, church, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if in honesty, you can say, yeah, I've been holding on to some things. Lift your hand. I've been having a real hard time letting go of some things. We're going to receive the grace of God today. Say with me, Lord, I receive the grace to turn loose of stuff so that I can pursue you in discipleship. And I believe you for it, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy. Now can all of us pray together and say, Lord, help me to be a disciple that brings forth much fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise, can you? <clears throat> oh, there's Kathy. There you go, sweetie. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to knock your hat off. Amen. Doesn't she look beautiful? I'm giving him strict instructions. Don't knock my hat off. <laughs> Well, I just have to say thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I like seeing it behind okay. the pulpit. You do that. I do. Um, you can have the pulpit. No, I just like okay. having it here. But, um, you know, when y'all clap and cheer like that, I have to say it really should be turned around in your direction. Y'all have been amazing. Your comments and your cards and your prayers and support and the love that we have felt has been tremendous. And I think it's been a testimony to our children. And um, so the praise and the... And the shouts and the claps are for y'all. And uh, we love y'all. And we're just uh, believing for a good report. Amen. Amen. Now let me ask you, can I interview you for a second? Sure. We're good on time. Okay. The Cowboys don't kick off till 3. Okay. And we don't even want to see that game anyway. Okay. Because I think it's going to be brutal. Okay. But anyway. Um, let's just be sure there's no rumors. And so I began to notice that you were disoriented. Yes. Apparently very forgetful. Forgetful. And you had this excruciating headache. We went to the doctor. Right. Just the last few days. I had not been having headaches. Mm -hmm. And, um... The doctor spent about 10 minutes with you and sent you to get a CT scan. Yeah, I think I said some pretty weird things to the doctor, I guess. Must have, because he said, get out of here and go get a CT. Yeah. So then they found that mass. Yes. And that was Tuesday, the 22nd. Right. And by Friday, the 25th, you were in surgery. Right. And I got to tell him what he said. He said she had one of the thickest skulls I've ever seen. 
And I, and I said, yep. And I said, well, of course she had to build that up to live with me. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, so Sergio took longer because it took him so long to cut through my skull. Well, we're not going to say that. Oh, okay. But I don't know. It's a big, that part is a big fog in my mind. I just, yeah. I know the dates cause y'all told me. Yeah. Then he came back with a difficult report. Unexpected. Yes. So now we have been to several specialists and this week we're going to go to a, a neuro-oncologist. And then after that, you're going to begin some tough treatments. Right. Well, they told us, they, of course, they immediately set us up to see an oncologist who we all liked. All, we all did. And then we went to see another neurosurgeon in Dallas at University of Texas Southwestern that was highly recommended. And now I, I said... It just makes sense to me. If I'm going to have somebody zapping radiation on my brain, I want it to be a neuro-oncologist and not a mm -hmm. gastro-oncologist or whatever else oncologist there is. No, we don't want. They might miss. So, <laughs> so I kind of demanded that, but they, they've all been very agreeing. And one of the things that we've all found comforting is all along the way, the standard of treatment that the doctors have recommended have been identical. So... That just kind of... They call it the gold standard. So I think it's... I think it would be very difficult if we had one doctor who's a specialist saying, I think you need to do this, and another doctor who's a specialist saying, I think you need to do that. Mm -hmm. And us having to yeah. try to discern between the two. But so far, everybody agrees. And this, um, this week will be the neuro-oncologist. So. Okay. So that's going to start in a couple of weeks. So Pastor Jeff is going to be here alone a lot. Because you're going to be... We'll see. We'll try to get you here, yeah. but we will understand if you're not over there. Right. And maybe Julia can correct me in your place. Yeah. <laughs> now, if, you're, if you've been here much, you know, Kathy's always, she has, she's the only one who feels safe shouting at me from the, the sanctuary saying, no, you got that wrong. Yeah. She can do that. But that's my daughter, Julia. Raise your hand, Julia. Isn't she beautiful? All right. That's my daughter, too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That would be our daughter. Yeah. Our I always daughter. get a kick at him. He says, my daughter yeah. and my son. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, see, she's doing it right now. I, I cannot. Now, so we love you as a church family. We thank you so much for the incredible prayers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to man the pulpit again. I am not going to let the devil take me out or take the word of God out. So... Uh, your prayers, I know, will be with Kathy, and um, we're going to say a prayer for her before we go, but I know you love her very much, and Friday was her birthday, so we're going to sing happy birthday to Kathy. Can we do it? Are you ready? Now, I'm not going to lead it out. I can't sing. So lead us. Happy birthday to I want you to give the shout. Okay. Will you do that? I'll do that. Uh, I'm not going to go to the back door, but I want her to give the shout. And um, thank you for praying and thank you. Now, Wednesday night, 
Brendan is going to be doing a series on Wednesday night because I'm going to be taking her to these treatments. So I need you to let me go at least on Wednesday nights for a season. Brendan is great. Brendan's done. My staff has stepped in in such a wonderful way. I tell you, they really have. Amen. And I, uh, you know, I'm always bragging on them and bragging on the infrastructure that we've got and the tech people and our staff pastors. But they just stepped in in this crisis and did an incredible job. Would you give them a hand of appreciation? Amen. Shout, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, amen. Now, she's going to slip out. She would love to say hello to all of you, but she gets tired quickly. I would. I think... I would love to hug everybody's neck, but I'm just not physically up to it. So, and plus, the doctors are also wanting us to stay away from large crowds, which this is kind of a big crowd. But anyway, um, yeah. so if y'all don't mind, and if you'll be gracious enough to let me just slip out back, I would appreciate that. But, uh, but I love you guys too, and consider yourself hugged because I would do it if I could. <laughs> All right, y'all help me count, and I'll be here every time I can. So, y'all help me count to three, and then. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. One, two, three. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a good week.